Hey y'all, welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank and I am with Tyler. Uh, we've had Tyler on the show before. He is the esports coach for uh, Smash Brothers. How you doing, man? Doing good, Frank. Good to talk to you again. Good to be back on. Um, excited to talk to you a little bit more about esports and uh, the world of esports in general. That's great. That's great. Uh, so have you been uh, playing some Smash Bros. lately? How, how's that going? I have been pretty recently, uh, you know, due to everything going on. I've had a little bit more time to kind of experiment more and play a little bit more Smash Brothers, get into the swing of things. Um, I'm actually training one of the guys who I used to go to college with. He asked me to do some training sessions with him. So we've kind of been working together, um, working on gameplay, theory crafting and his play style exactly what he wants to do to uh, improve his game overall. So when somebody approaches you in wanting to better their game, what's your first step? The first step is for me to find out what type of style they have. So one of the first things I do is I play a couple matches against that person to see if they're very aggressive, if they tend to be a bit more defensive. It's kind of picking and choosing, you know, like what their play style is, what their strengths and weaknesses are in that, and then developing their theories from there. Okay. And uh, so you develop it from there. Do you guys watch like a lot of, uh, you know, pre-tape basically, or, you know, uh, footage of his gameplay and then kind of see like, oh, hey, you're bouncing here too often, or you're doing this or doing that? Is it, is it a constant review? Yeah. So there's there's parts that go into that. Um, I'll save a couple of the uh, the matches and I'll ask the other person as well to save a couple of the matches and we'll kind of go through each of the matches together to say, Hey, these are some aggressive tendencies that are repetitive that you could probably get punished for. Um, kind of showing the difference between good risk and reward versus bad risk and reward. Um, depending on it, it also varies play style to play style. Cause, um, I would say probably the most difficult thing in coaching somebody in Smash is that there's so many different things that can affect a certain player's play style because one person could play, like right now the meta is Joker, so one person could play a very aggressive heavy Joker mm -hmm. and another person could play a very defensive Joker, so it's two completely different coaching styles, two completely ways of theory crafting for those players. So it just comes, it boils down to how you choose to play your character because there's not necessarily a wrong way, but there's definitely the strengths and the weaknesses between those two characters and the styles that you choose to play. So with Joker, you tend to get a little bit more of an advantage when you choose to play more aggressively with other characters such as like Samus or projectile characters. You kind of get rewarded a little bit more for being defensive and zoning. Yeah, that makes sense. You 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 can protect a little bit better, and uh, poke them down a little bit. Mm. Okay, so uh, how how long do you think it takes for an average player with coaching to become sufficient to at least, you know, the beginning stages of of tournaments? So for me, there's there's all different levels of being competitive, like getting into competitive Smash. Mm -hmm. There's beginner intermediate advanced expert and master so for me when i started out i was probably about 14 15 years old and i was definitely in the beginning phase mm -hmm. beginners beginners have played the game before it's not that they've never played before but they've never played a competitive set they don't understand the competitive style of the game they don't understand how it works um 
once you get used to um, being in those tournaments and playing against people and understanding, because there is a difference between playing a computer, playing an AI, and playing against an actual thinking person who's trying to predict what you're going to do and you're trying to predict what they're going to do. Intermediate players are getting the basic concepts of playing against a person. So they're, they're understanding, okay, this person is going to do this. How do I counter it? Right. That's like the, the basic stage of it is like, oh, this is what I'm going to do to counter them. Now, the ex- expert stage from there is kind of the third level of thinking is like, this is what my opponent thinks I'm going to do, but I'm going to do this instead. Okay. Cause I was thinking like the intermediate sounds pretty pro to me, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's predicting the so, next guy. Yeah. So it basically can go up the chain indefinitely, but at master level, at the highest level. So the mango armada, Mewtwo King, hungry box, you know, the, 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 the gods of the game, PPMD, mm-hmm. they are very much about, okay, what does my opponent think that I'm going to do? So it goes from kind of, oh, what do they think I'm going to do to this is what they think I'm going to do, but I'm going to do exactly what they think I'm going to do because that's going to throw them off. So the master, the, master, the master level is a very highly detailed and very difficult level to get to. Very few people get there, so it's something that you want to try to achieve. But if you're at, even if you're at intermediate, like you're still a solid put together player. Yeah. Uh, okay, so wh- when you're doing these this training phase, who are you playing against? It's not against the computer, is it? No. So the person that I do all the coaching with will play against me. Oh, okay. Because it allows me to kind of see their styles, allows me to see their tendencies, allows me to see their repetitive patterns. It allows me to kind of see what they can improve on, see what's good about their play style, see, have them observe some of the stuff that they would get punished for with certain characters and certain styles. So if I wanted them to practice against somebody who has defensive tendencies, if they're going to play against a defensive player, I'm going to play a lot more defensive and I'm going to go for safer approaches and they they have to learn how to adapt to somebody who's going to choose to do safer approaches. Versus if I know that person is going to be playing people in bracket who are very aggressive, then I'm going to choose a lot more aggressive tendon- tendencies and a lot of aggressive approaches and they have to learn how to punish aggressive approaches. That way they're able to kind of, you know, see how to flow in the punishes and kind of be able to adapt to all different styles. Because really the biggest thing in Smash Brothers, if you want to improve, is you have to be able to adapt to what your opponent is doing. Yeah. That's, that's part of that master tier you're talking about, too, is where you're kind of setting them up and then adapting to that as well. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Because they adapt to you just as much as you're adapting to them. Because two two games are never going to be the exact same. Right, yeah. And I, I've learned that going to tournaments and talking to people and theory crafting with uh, the team that I was coaching with. And it's, it's, it's a lot of 
it, there's there's a lot of you know execution, but there's also the mental side of the game that people don't really try to get into as much because you know you do have to get you know you do have to get your butt kicked to understand your place in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, so we have a new champ on the rise. Uh, we have it's gonna be so this is a little bit tricky thing, guys. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you've already seen all the announcements. But uh, we have the arms fighter coming in. Uh, we're recording this before all the details come out. But how do you think a character like that's going to do on the on the battlefield? Uh, I th- I think it'll be a very strong character. I mean, depending on you know what they what ask like what tools they give the character. Um, knowing the arms uh, game, I have played it before. It's a really good and you know unique sort of fighting game. Um, I, I could see it very much being kind of how Street Fighter Dalsum works with the extended, you know, arms kind of extending hitboxes. I, I believe, I believe it could be either a zoning character or it's going to be something the line, the lines of a very heavy hitter, like a glass cannon sort of thing. Cause yeah. the weight might not be as high, but the hitboxes because of the you know, boxing style. It's the same thing with Little Mac. Little Mac isn't very heavy, but he has a very heavy hitting because he's a boxer, mm-hmm. you know? So his ground game could be phenomenal, but anything else after that, you know, could be difficult. He might have a very weak recovery. Um, there's a lot, a lot of different things that could happen, but the way that I see it, I could see him kind of being a mix of like dulcim in a sense. Mm-hmm. With the with the stretching of the limbs, but also you know, with that being said, he'd be very punishable with that because it'll take time for the you know arms to come back in, all yeah. that kind of stuff. That's that's what I'm seeing is, is I'm pretty sure he'll hit hard and he has the range, but he'll be slowed down so much by having to bring the arms back in that uh, the idea is to avoid the initial hit, then get in for a quick attack, and then move back out as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'll definitely I believe he'll be a zoning character for sure. It's just we'll have to see how um Sakurai decides to design the character. Yeah. Well we'll know on uh the twenty second guys. Uh so you guys will have an article out as soon as we find out more details explaining more about him. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move into our top five esports. Now, as a podcast, we did this very early on when we had terrible quality audio. And uh, and stuff like that, but we're gonna do this again uh, with two years of experience. So we'll start. I'll start things off, and then we'll go to you. Um, that way, you're the one that, that finishes the show for us. But gotcha. uh, my number five is gonna be Fortnite. The reason I'm choosing Fortnite is number five, and it was originally my number one back in the day, two years ago. But my number mm. five, um, it has escalating um, excitement. So in the beginning, you know, it's a little bit of a searching for your weapons and whatnot. But then by the end, you have these guys with. Um, you know, grappling abilities and sharpshooters, and if, if it's duos and they have somebody driving a car while the other one's in the back, it gets crazy towards the end. And then, of course, you have the fog bringing things together. Fortnite always has the ability to really kind of um, make these wacky scenarios that are just you're on the edge of your seat watching them. Uh, and then with the the building aspect, makes people get creative in a way that I I'm that's why I can't play Fortnite very well is because I'm real bad about switching over to the building aspect real quick. Um, but this game really rewards that. Uh, if you're at the final stage and you're out building the other player, you will out, out shoot them too. Uh, you get the upper hand real fast. So, uh, Fortnite, Fortnite's my number five. I think that they're slowly getting to, 
uh, a good place esports wise. They don't, Epic hasn't really made a, a, a really good league yet for them, but they have the funding. I think they'll be there in no time. I I, I agree with you. I think Fortnite is a very interesting and very you know high paced uh, esport. It's very unique in the gameplay and the style. Um, it's really one of the first battle royales to be very popularized. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different skill that goes into it. Better, you know, different skills than any other sh- uh, shooting game I've ever seen. So it's very entertaining to watch. Um, I have a lot of, you know, uh, friends and family who play that game. And, you know, I have some cousins who are very competitive in that game. And it's just amazing to watch him play. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is fun to watch when you watch the right person. Like it's it's definitely an amazing feat. Yeah. So, all right. Well, going to your number five. Before we go, I just wanted to uh, quickly say if there's anything that one of us has, say if we have matching numbers somewhere, just shout it out, and then we'll both talk about them. I got you. Okay. My my number five is going to be the NBA 2K League. Oh. Okay. Um, I think it is amazing how the NBA has kind of uh, brought in sports community and you know got gotten a lot of the teams to sponsor players because they're they're playing basketball like these are guys who have basketball minds and they just don't have you know maybe they just didn't have the athletic capability or they just you know weren't able to play but seeing these guys play nba 2k at the level that they do they are playing at you know nba level these are professional you know, virtual athletes playing basketball and they have the coaches, they have managers. It's, it's almost built exactly like the NBA. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to watch it because being, you know, it's one of those things where if you're first trying to get into esports, and it's, it's difficult to, you know, find the right one for you, but I've seen a lot of my friends who are athletes and I show them the 2K, just like a couple of clips of like highlights of, you know, season one or season two. And they're like, oh my gosh, where was this, you know, two or three years ago, I would have watched this, you know, while I was watching the NBA season. And a lot of my friends who play 2K are like, wow, this is awesome. Like, I would totally watch this. And it's just, it's just so unique to see a sports game get such praise from the actual sport it was based off of. Because you don't see it too often. Really, the only other esport that has that is uh, FIFA, but really, you don't see too much of that in the tournament scene of like professional um, clubs uh, sponsoring them. Mm-hmm. So, really, I really like and respect that the NBA has you know taken on the initiative to say, you know, we want to support all types of basketball, no matter what it is. That is pretty cool and and quite unique. Uh, it shows. It just shows kind of the class of the NBA because if you look at something like the NFL, they're so lit- litigious that uh, you have a hard time negotiating between them and the NFL Players Union on mm-hmm. uh, you know appearances on the Madden cover. It's all kinds of things like that. When the NBA seems yeah. to be more embracing, which is always better for the eSport itself uh, and getting uh, mm-hmm. NBA 2K out there. It benefits, it benefits both the sport and it benefits the, the people who are playing the game. And it also helps the developers because they're allowing – you know, the actual athletes and the professionals to, you know, kind of give the modern rule set and give, you know, what they have in their experiences and kind of translate it into esports so that people who just weren't able to do it, you know, can play this game. 
Yeah. Uh, that's a really good choice. That's a good one. All right. All right, man. What's your number four? My number four is going to be PUBG. It's the uh, other Battle Royale <laughs> that's on my list. Um, gotcha. So this is this is the Battle Royale that kind of started things off uh, for majority of people. And uh, what, what I like about the esports version versus, versus the regular version, uh, the regular version is plagued by cheating. There's always these hackers and stuff like that that are using aimbots mm. and speedbots. Uh, but the the actual esports version is the purest version of the game. Nobody's able to cheat. They're always triple checking everybody, um, and it, it feels like a game in which I can be good at. Like it's it's one of those things where if you get in there and you stay alive, uh, you could actually play the game much more survival than uh, a shooter and actually get towards the time the final ten pretty easily. You just got to kind of constantly be moving and uh, always in cover. And I like that. I like the idea of it, you know, when it, when you compare it to Fortnite, for example, like Fortnite's beautiful and it's awesome and it's all kinds of action, but it's a lot less survival in that sense. When in PUBG, I have countless times gotten a chicken dinner because I was hiding in the grass until the end and, uh, and then came up and killed the last guy. Like it's it's not great, but that's it's a survival game. And so when you see it done in the uh, esports arenas, you're watching these guys that know the guns well, know how to shoot well. They're, they're setting traps. They're setting up these ambushes. Uh, it makes it feel like it's an actual uh, living game, like an actual scenario that you can see people participate in. When you when you compare it to the other other sports, where like other I'm sorry, battle royales, Fortnite has these like real you know loud characters jumping around shooting at each other, and then you have Warzone, which is the other big and hot one that has like oh yeah, but we're just gonna like bring in drones and all kinds of cool weaponry. These guys have sniper rifles and you know frying pan to hide them. So uh, it's just a really classic game. The new ranked mode they brought into the regular game is going to be how they're going to vet the future of esports. So it's an emerging esport, and they're working on the league themselves. But uh, they put in this ranked mode to kind of weed out the uh, less talented players and really kind of get the cream of the crop. So I think it's going to have an excellent future in esports. The uh, PUBG Mobile is doing well as well. Um, so yeah, PUBG definitely my number four. Uh, I mean, for me, um, my number four was like Fortnite. PUBG because I put them in the same category mm-hmm. because they're both very much in the same dynamic. It's just, you know, Fortnite has the whole building feature behind it and right. PUBG is a bit more focused on the actual gunplay of the the shooting aspect of the game. So for me, my number four would would have been Fortnite PUBG. Um, I agree with you on all of that. Um, again, like we said before about Fortnite, just very high paced and exciting to watch when you watch the right people. Um, same thing with PUBG. Um, I believe that PUBG is just, you know, very soul core to a shooter. Just, you know, straightforward. Hey, get a gun, survive till the end. It doesn't matter how you do it. You just got to get to the end. There's no wrong or right way. It's not, you know, against the rules for you not to hide and wait it out. Yeah. That's a style of play. And some people don't like that. But if that's the way you choose to play it, then okay, you, you got to find a way to counter it. But There's, I agree with you. I agree with you on that for number four is PUBG. But for me, like it's PUBG Fortnite. So yeah, there's a lot of people who get upset when you play that way. And it's funny. It's yeah. almost kind of funny that they do. But it's it's one of those things like, OK, yeah, but if I, if if 100 of us were thrown into a field right now, <laughs> it's a lot less out likely of, that you're going to be running yeah, around looking for guns of, and hiding in this mm-hmm. bushes. Sounds like a really solid idea. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like out of a hundred people, how many of them would actually do that? Yeah, you know I mean? like, like a lot of people, are like, oh, I wouldn't do that, but like if you're actually put in the situation, it's going to be a little bit more than you think it would. Yeah, exactly. So, 
So what's your number three? My number three is going to be uh, StarCraft II. This is one of the first esports that I got into. And uh, I used to like it just, oh, it's neat and it's cool. And I played it a lot. But then when I actually started going to the live tournaments, uh, they actually put a camera on the keyboard itself because that's also such a big part of the gameplay. They are hitting that keyboard faster than you can even believe. 180, I think, is kind of the minimum to even be considered a pro. So 180 strokes per minute. And um, they're lightning fast. And I really like the fact that it's a real risk and reward gameplay. It's all strategy. And uh, you're sitting there, you're building up your army. And you can send troops over. But if your troops are defeated and you've depleted too many resources in doing that, you've just burnt up resources and they have an advantage over you. Uh, The players are so fast and they're constantly having to think ahead. It's like chess on steroids. Uh, it, it boils down to who makes who pulls the trigger at the right time, and when they pull the trigger, did they bring enough to actually make an impact? If they didn't, like if you bring over enough guys and you just take out at least one building, you've at least depleted the resources enough to make it like an equal playing ground, and then maybe if you can take out a couple more guys, you're good. Uh, there's all kinds of little facets to it. It's a perfect version of Rochambeau, where like, hey, the the Terrans are stronger than the Zerg, and the Zerg are stronger than the Protoss, you know, and and that really makes uh, an impact in the game because if you're playing against something that should be able to override you, you have to play more more defensively. And how do you do this? So um, it stood the test of time. Star StarCraft 1 was one of the earliest esports out there. StarCraft mm-hmm. 2 has really done well and everybody's eagerly waiting for number 3. Uh, so yeah. it's just a classic. has to be on yeah. the chart. <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot about the StarCraft. Like it's kind of lasted the span of time and it's just such a great strategy game that it's so difficult for people to not play it and it's one of the older it's like the grandfather of esports you know it's kind of one of the first ones to have done it so i personally have only watched it maybe once or twice and it was you know still fascinating to me to watch how fast these guys are moving and thinking and utilizing resources because you know, I, I also, you know, I love strategy games. I love those types of games, like no matter if it's a video game or board game, but it's just so fascinating to watch it at such a high level. Yeah. What is your number three? My number three, uh, going back to the FGC, is going to be Tekken. Nice. Tekken has such a long history of competitive play. Um Tekken to me is probably the hardest fighting game to become pro at because there is it's a sandbox fighter because you're controlling every aspect of your character. You're controlling left arm, right arm, left foot, right foot. You're in a 3D setting so you can shuffle side to side. You can, you know, do steps back and you can do combos off walls. There's just so much creativity that goes into the combo and the play styles of certain people there are guys i can't remember his name offhand but he uses one of the worst characters in the game and he's actually won a championship with it with that character because he just you know was rock solid fundamentally and he played to his strengths and it worked for him so it's just it kind of shows that like tier lists don't necessarily matter they're just more of an informational guide yeah but to me like watching you know you know will majin and all those guys just watching these high level players you know especially most of the players from japan korea you know like the the very very high level players kind of watching the mind games and and footsies that they play and their spacing and then leading into their deadly combos is just incredible to watch 
I didn't know that about Tekken that you can control each each arm and each leg separately. Yeah, so the the way that the the play style is set up is that you have your um, the button layout just like any arcade stick, but you have um, left punch, right punch. You have uh, left kick, right kick. So the way it's set up is that you literally control every limb in a certain way, um, and the combo set up in a very specific way, and then it flips depending on which side of the screen you're on. Oh, wow. That makes it even worse. <laughs> yeah. You thought it was hard enough when you just had to memorize left and right. That's yeah. Crazy. So it's, it makes it even, even more crazy because then your controls get flipped when you're on the other side of the screen. Um, I think Tekken Tekken now has fixed that because there's split screen play, so now you don't have to worry about that as much. But back in the in the earlier scenes, um, probably like Tekken one through probably three, um, you you had to learn how to play both ways. You had to learn how to play from the right side of the screen, then you had to learn how to play from the left side of the screen when your when your controls were flipped. That's awesome. <laughs> so That's cool. and you know the people who have lasted the. Um, the the stand of time is just you know it's amazing to watch them just transition from each game so smoothly and pick up a different character or watch somebody just triumph with the character they've been playing since Tekken you know the very first Tekken game so that that would be my number three that's um, a good choice I I really recommend watching it if you get an opportunity to it's just so different I definitely will be so I haven't unique. I yeah. haven't played Tekken since the old arcade so I'm I'm excited to see check it out it sounds cool. What do you what do you got for uh we're on number two now? Yeah, my number two yeah. is gonna be CSGO. This is uh oh, you know Counter Strike Global Offensive. Uh that's a good choice. Yeah, it's out there, it's stomping around. Uh their esports is ran by ESL, which is kind of like one of the bigger names in, in uh esports. And they have these long established teams like Cloud9, Team Liquid, and of course FaZe Clan, mm. uh, which FaZe Clan seems to be the troll team of esports, but anyways. Um so uh, it, it's a high skill cap, one of the highest skill caps, I think, in gaming. And, uh, you know, you go in as, as, a, as a rookie into any CSGO match. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, it'll take a lot of headshots before you're finally realizing, okay, if I hide around these corners, if I do this, if I do that, this is kind of a heavy uh, uh, focal point, stuff like that. You start to finally break into it, but uh, there's such a barrier for new players. And then when you see these guys, they've gotten past that barrier and then beyond to a degree where they're setting up these traps with smoke and putting a bomb in there. And then like people are waiting for somebody to go, you know, approach the person who dies. It's all kinds of like setting up these scenarios for these shots. They move quick. They almost know where somebody's at just, just based off of where it would make sense for them to be at. So you have this real cat and mouse thing where they're like, look, he would be here. And then if he didn't make this turn, that means he's over there. They're already on it. Uh, they do a really good job. ESL, it's a fantastic company. Uh, we we do host most of their tournaments, um, but their their casters are really well uh, versed and and they know what they're talking about. So watching the watching the games, uh, there's they're letting you know like this is why that shot was made. This is why he made that turn. Uh, it's one of the best when it comes to uh, casters, in my opinion. So that's that's my number two. What's uh what's your number two? Um, this was a really tough choice for me. Um. Even though I do coach this, my number my oh, number wow. two is you know Super Smash Brothers. Like I thought, this was your number one easy. <laughs> yeah, it it was. But if we're just talking about watching and like kind of the blown away factor of esports, like 
to me specifically for me like if i had to pick my number one of the smash brothers series it would be smash brothers melee no question because that's the highest level of smash brothers in my opinion Mm -hmm. but if we're talking about the entire gaming you know community of smash brothers it's at my number two only because it's just kind of shift away from what it could have been to me for me melee was one of the you know the purest form of smash brothers you know there was high level but there was also you know the people who chose to play the game their own way you know it's evolved to a better format of you know they didn't completely dislodge the competitive scene like they did in brawl and then when smash 4 came out they were like okay you know we'll work with you a little bit more ultimate has probably done the best job to kind of accommodate for those, you know, professional players, the, you know, that, that community of, Hey, you know, we do, you know, we do respect you guys in playing the game and enjoying, but, you know, Nintendo has had their back and forths with, you know, the esports community and competitive scenes. And it's, it's just been one of those things for me where like, I still enjoy smash brothers. I love the game. So don't get me wrong. When I say it as number two, it's not that (laughs) I don't love the game. It's, the competitive scene has just fluctuated in such a way where if I think if they would have stuck their ground and seen how well Melee was doing as an eSport and they kind of just took that and ran with it, I think the game would have evolved to one of the biggest eSports in the world. Yeah. But, you know, the route they chose to go down, that, you know, it, it changed. And, you know, it's unfortunate to say it like that, but that's, you know, Sakurai's view is different than what he, you know, what other people's views are. And that's, you know, we have to respect him because he created the game and that's what we have to work with. There, Nintendo does seem to be uh, embracing the esports culture, at least. They're they're starting to do these tournaments online or they're on the YouTube channel. They're really broadcasting them well with, you know, nice overlays and casters and stuff like that so it is kind of nice to see them at least seeing that there is definitely an esports market out there yeah and i think part of it is that you know melee was so popularized and sakurai saw the game in such a different way that he wanted it to just be the sandbox party game that uh, you know everybody enjoys and everybody plays you know you know everybody's playing for fun or everybody's you know they're all playing it in their own way but he didn't want it to become this competitive fighting game yeah you know he didn't want it to become what it is and melee scene is still going on right now there's still some amazing players that are out there like plup s fat west balls zane leffen like all those people are still playing hungry box you know um watching some of those people transition into smash brothers ultimate like i personally watch a lot because he also plays my character so i learned a lot from him Mm -hmm. but i've also been watching him since he was you know in melee back in like 2014 where you know he was struggling to you know win tournaments he was coming second a lot and finally when he went to evo 2016 he won his first ever evo title and that was you know so amazing to watch because it was you know the one person who was playing jigglypuff and only playing jigglypuff where the meta is fox and falco and marth and Sheik, like all these all other characters. Fast characters yeah <laughs> yeah and he's playing with you know this character that is totally different from the meta and he won with that character and he's still one of the most dominant players in that series so 
That's my number two for overall, but yeah. specifically melee would have been my if we were gonna go super detailed, but I wanted to go a little bit more to the broad side because my number one will be a good surprise. Okay. That's a good one. All right. Uh my number one is Overwatch. Uh so Good choice. Good I, choice. I love me some Overwatch. If you guys watch the stream, we're playing it often. Um we uh we've gone to live tournaments, we've gone to the World Cup. Uh we joke around that we're going to try to take Team Portugal's position because we actually met Team Portugal in real life, and we, you know, we're just messing around with them. But um, yeah, so Overwatch League, you know, was founded back in uh, November fourth, two thousand sixteen. Uh, currently has twenty teams over six nations. Uh, the The game itself is fantastic, in the fact that you have these very identifiable characters, you could root for the characters if you wanted to. Uh, the uh, The play style is fast paced and fun and bright and colorful. But the reason I have it at number one is so much more at Blizzard's support. So they actually created the Overwatch League. And uh, with these dedicated teams that has the game's full backing, they have a chance of of creating identities, ownership. So you could actually be a San Francisco Shock fan or a, a London Spitfire fan and identify with your team. Because one of the big problems with these sports, especially team-based ones, is the players are moving around often with whatever, you know, the highest money or the best... Uh, uh, you know, working relationships, they'll move around. Yeah. yeah. So um, with this, you could at least identify with your team a lot easier than you can with some other games. Uh, mm. And that's that's just props to Blizzard. They actually started their own. They have an arena down in, I think it's Bakersfield. And then, of course, at BlizzCon, they use the arena there for the World Cup. And watching it live is unreal. Uh, the World Cup is a lot of fun. It's actually my favorite version of the game where you're actually rooting for your nation. And... Uh, Team France is super good, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, last year, Team USA won, which being there for that was, oh, man, that was fire. So, um, yeah, Overwatch, to me, it's it's my favorite one. I do I do appreciate Overwatch because um, a lot of the people that I coached back when I was in college, that was another sport that they, you know, that's another eSport that they did. That was something that, you know, if they weren't playing Smash, they were playing Overwatch. Yeah. and I really like that because it gave them chemistry when we got into playing with each other and, you know, helping each other theory craft and come up with new ideas. So I think Overwatch is just so good at teaching tactics and strategy, but also teaching uh, how crucial it is for each person to play a role, no matter what that role is. Mm -hmm. That, you know, just in the same way as it is in sports, you know, in basketball, you got five players who have, predominant roles you have you know football you got 11 players each of them have a very specific role so it's yeah. you know it shows the importance of being a role player and understanding exactly what you need to do in order for the team to get you know to be successful that's a so. good point yeah the roles in in overwatch is it's not necessarily unique but it's unique in the shooter uh, dynamic and yeah. uh it, it is a very important part you have people that identify as supports and will stay supports whether they move from team to team um, and, and that creates this, uh, chemistry amongst players that is vital. If your support and tank works together well, then, oh my God, that's so huge. Um, that shows how much you could push. They have to really be able to feed off each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, de I definitely like, especially in the video game world, you don't see it too often. I mean, like in, you know, NBA 2K, obviously, you know, it's a basketball game. So you're going to see the teamwork dynamic play of that, mm -hmm. but really in, in the, in the scheme of things, I would say Overwatch is probably one of the better games to teach teamwork and, you know, role-playing skills. Yeah. 
Not a figure. All right, man. What is your number one? My number one. Um, I've been watching this since I was a kid. It was Smash Brothers. Was one of the ones I had been watching for a long time. But the other one that I would watch that is my number one is Competitive Tetris. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah. So the Tetris World, uh, the Classic Tetris World Championships, uh, the CWC. Um, or CTWC, um, it's the 1989 version, so the NES version of Tetris, um, and they've been doing it for I think a couple, almost 10 years now. I think they started either in 2010 or 2009. Mm-hmm. But this is to me is the most unique competitive game in that you know you're you kind of think to yourself like. How is Tetris competitive? And you know, on on the on the Switch, you have the Battle Royale Tetris ninety nine game. So, yeah. You know, that's its own function and feature. And you know, as a Tetris fan, I enjoy playing competitive Tetris, and I do play Tetris ninety nine. And but just just watching people play, you know, the original Tetris game, but playing it in a competitive scene where you're playing against another person is just amazing. I mean, these guys are starting at very high levels so each of the levels go at a faster rate so the average start or the starting point is uh now level 18 which is very is a very fast pace but it's the slowest pace to start at Mm -hmm. um but i mean just tetris is uh, a game where you have to be able to make decisions quickly and you have to just go with what you do and so many unique play styles are in tetris you can be very aggressive you can be very defensive you can you know you can choose to you know not play the traditional way where you build a well all the way to the right some people build it directly in the center so that you know they can build faster um it's it's just so unique to see a game that shouldn't have a competitive scene because it's a puzzle game but turn into this amazing scene and you know, there's uh, the guy who was the reigning champ for seven years. His name is uh, uh, Jonas is what he goes by. He was the reigning champ for seven years straight. And then the 16-year-old kid from out of nowhere came in and beat him. That's and it was awesome. just like one of those. Yeah, it's just one. Like, I tell so many. Like, I even when I was at the uh, the gaming expo, I was talking to one of the other uh one of the other people about it because we started talking about our favorite games and mm-hmm. i was playing a lot i still am playing it's smash brothers and tetris for me those are the two kind of games i'm bouncing between right now because i do have the original tetris game it's a lot of fun i'm still not great at it but you know i can hold my own um but just it's so different in you know how people play the game how people view the game and like there's just so much that goes into it that you just you know like just watching like just watching people at the highest level because they go all the way up to like um so level 29 so it'll go from 18 progress to 19 and then the counter restarts so it's like you go to level 20 but once you clear like five lines it immediately goes to level 21 because of a glitch in the system because it's so old like people didn't think that they were going to go that high of levels (laughs) so the kill screen is level 29 which is like the blocks are dropping at almost like two frames per second 
So they're just dropping at such an alarming fast rate that they don't think it's physically possible for people to play it. Right. And throughout the meta changing, there are people who have played past level 20. Um, like the world record is set by the guy who was the world champion, uh, Joseph Saline. He made it all the way up to like level 33, which at that point like is near impossible to play. But the tactic that he uses is called uh, hyper tapping, which allows him to move pieces at a faster rate than a normal Tetris player can. So his hands are set up in a very specific way where he can push the button, um, the arrow buttons at uh, 15 times per second, which allows him, yeah, which allows him to move pieces in a faster rate all the way to one side of the board or the other. So it allows him to do these amazing tricks at, you know, super high at the top of the screen or when the pieces are falling very quickly, he can move them exactly where he wants to. So Hmm. it's just so cool to watch. And there's a lot of new hyper tap, a lot of people monthly to line joseph saline goes to those tournaments um and it's just so it's such a unique esport to watch and it's you know like because there's no there's nobody who's sponsored by anybody there's no sponsorships like you know the tetris company helps uh you know the community out on occasion like the creator of tetris in 2018 actually came to the event and you know congratulated everybody said you know this is amazing this is something i would have never thought would have happened but he loves it and he wants to support them so he helps uh the people who have difficulty paying for the tickets because they have people from europe and korea and japan who come to these tournaments and he puts down money to help those people you know come to the tournaments and play and there's so there's so many amazing stories in that that like you know I hopefully one day I would like to just go to watch just to watch these guys in person and be like, wow, it's, you know, it's incredible to watch, but I've watched almost every year. And it's one of those esports. Uh, it's just not very popular. Mm-hmm. Like so many people are like, what do you mean competitive Tetris? Like, I thought that was just a puzzle game. No, like there's a whole competitive scene. For it, so yeah, I, w- I went just, to Tetris it, 99 right away when you said that. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that game. I didn't yeah, think about but- the nes <laughs> tetris wow yeah yeah it's and it, they've created a whole new system like one of the guys who runs the tournament created this whole new system that allows them to do a competitive format where you know because the randomizer in like tetris 99 you get a line every 10 pieces so you know exactly when you'll get a line piece but in the nes tetris it is completely randomized you could go 30 40 pieces without getting uh, an eye bar is what they call it but yeah um but they've they've created the format now so that both players get the exact same pieces so it's not two different games giving you two completely different random sets yeah it's now two games giving you the exact same set so now people are uh screen peeking when someone's a very aggressive player to see what the next pieces are going to be Oh, so man. you'll see, and if you watch, <laughs> if you if you watch the high level players, you'll see some of them kind of look over to the other player's screen just to see their build, but also to see like, hey, there are two pieces ahead of me, so at least I know, okay, there's going to be this piece coming up at some point. God, that and alone like takes a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, like, even cheating's going to be hard. <laughs> well, for them, like they they had asked people like, oh, don't you guys consider 
screen peak and cheating. They're like, no, we take it as an effective tactic because you're not using it to kill a player. You can't use it to hinder somebody else. Yeah. You know, it's just you getting information and you're choosing to take your eyes off the screen. So if you mess up, that's on, you know, that's on you. That's, that's a very good point. Doing. Yeah. You actually are looking away from your own screen. That's going <laughs> to, that's a risk. And you see it not even like it's maybe one second that they turn away. They're not looking at their screen and then like blindly playing the game. It's like right. they quickly peek over. Okay, that's what the person has. That's their next piece. That piece is going to come up for me in you know the next two pieces. If it comes up, okay, I'm two pieces behind this player. Damn, that was such a good pick for number one, man. I never would have thought about that. That is a solid pick. I'm gonna have to. It's so that in tech, and I'm gonna be oh YouTubing later. <laughs> Yeah, if if you look up um, if for the competitive Tetris one, the one that you should watch is the championship between Jonas and uh, Joseph Saline. That's like the one that got really caught my attention. I was like, okay, I'm you know I got back into it because of that. Like I had watched all the other Jonas championships, and it was very predictable because the guy's a legend. It's Jonas and Joseph Saline, guys. Make sure you guys look that up and uh, check that out. That's cool. All right. Well, thank you very much again. And uh, guys, we will be back with you guys on Monday. We have a news of the week. Uh, this weekend, I think, is going to be the next Xbox announcement. If it is, we will be we'll be jumping in real quick to uh, do a press pause announcement on that. So, uh, But if not, Monday is the next news of the week, and we'll see you guys then. Have a good week. Bye. for joining us on the geek freaks podcast you can find us on twitter at geek freaks pod we're also on facebook instagram you can email us we have our patreon and a store all those links are in the description thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you guys next week